WLRN edition 81. Broadcasting in three, two, one. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Sisters, rise again. I was born woman. Off my knees, I will stand for my liberation. Rise and rise again. Greetings, and welcome to the 81st edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, January 5th, 2023. I'm Sekhmet Owl, WLRN's desert-dwelling dyke and female self-defense evangelist, wishing all of our WLRN listeners a happy new year. This month, we take a look back at 2022 and find out what Anne Menashe of Feminists in Struggle, or FIST, believes were the major events, developments, and moments for women and the women's movement. Anne will also tell us what she thinks feminists should look forward to and participate in as we roll into 2023. At the end of the show, I will also give my perspective on the top stories and moments of 2022 and where I hope we are headed as a feminist movement in 2023. How did 2022 go for you? How did your feminist journey go during the last year? How do you measure feminist progress? The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be they conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Emily Fay with women's news from around the globe for this Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Missouri has become the first U.S. state to execute a trans-identified man. Scott McLaughlin was convicted in 2003 of consecutive terms of death for first-degree murder, life for armed criminal action, and life for forcible rape for the kidnapping, rape, and murder of his ex-girlfriend, Beverly Gunther. Gunther had taken out a restraining order against McLaughlin, and a month before murdering her, McLaughlin was charged with burglarizing her home. McLaughlin had previously been incarcerated in the 1990s for sexually assaulting a 14-year-old girl. He had been on the Missouri Sex Offender Registry since that conviction. It wasn't until a federal ruling in 2018 that forced Missouri to provide cross-sex hormones to any trans-identifying inmates that McLaughlin began claiming a transgender identity. McLaughlin made a final plea to the governor, which was rejected. Media coverage of McLaughlin's plea was often heavily focused on his transgender identity and overwhelmingly sympathetic 
with many outlets using passive language to refer to Gunther's brutal murder, even though McLaughlin confessed and has never claimed to be innocent. An article for the Kansas City Star used female pronouns to refer to McLaughlin, as well as a traditionally feminine name which he has adopted in prison. The article does not include any photos of him and at no time makes any reference to his transgender identity or the fact that he is held in a men's prison. Many news articles covering McLaughlin's case cited the fact that it is extremely rare for the United States to execute a woman. In a hauntingly Orwellian statement, a spokesperson for the Corrections Department said, quote, It is extremely unusual for a woman to commit a capital offense such as a brutal murder, and even more unusual for a woman to, as was the case with McLaughlin, rape and murder a woman. McLaughlin was executed on January 3rd at 6.51 p.m. Beverly Gunther's brother, who witnessed the execution, said she was, quote, the best sister anybody could ask for. Beverly was 45 when McLaughlin murdered her. Investigators in Utah have closed the case of a double murder of newlywed lesbian couple Crystal Turner and Kyleen Schultz. The women were murdered while camping in Moab in August 2021. The day before their murder, the couple had mentioned to other campers they were concerned about a, quote, creepy camper setting up near them. Because of these statements, many assumed the women's murders was a stranger killing. However, Turner and Schultz were murdered by a co-worker of Turner's from the McDonald's in Moab named Adam Pinkushevitz. Schultz's family stated he had been harassing Turner at work because she was a lesbian. Pinkushevitz killed himself in September 2021 after fleeing Utah. He was identified as a suspect early on, but it wasn't until more recently that investigators tracked down a man in Iowa whom he had been in a romantic relationship with at the time of the murders. This man, who has remained anonymous, told investigators Pinkushevitz came to visit him shortly after the murders and confessed to what he had done. The man had details about the murder which had not been released to the public. He also told investigators Pinkushevitz confessed his motive for the murders was because Turner had been bossy with him at work. In Canada, a group of parents of students at Oakville High School are threatening to sue the school board for refusing to enforce a dress code for teachers after one male teacher returned from summer break wearing large prosthetic breasts. The male teacher claims a trans identity and a group of parents have been trying for months to get the Halton District School Board to take action after the board initially defended the teacher's right to express his gender identity and later said the board couldn't implement a teacher dress code because it would open them up to quote considerable liability. In a statement, the board cited the Ontario Human Rights Code, which prohibits discrimination based on gender identity and gender expression. The school board has threatened students with suspension for taking photos of the teacher. Several parents of students have expressed support for the teacher's trans identity while stating that the prosthetic breasts are what they have an issue with. Since photos of the teacher went viral, the school has received numerous bomb threats. Two weeks after being honored as the top female gamer in Brazil, a trans-identified male was forced to resign in disgrace after screenshots of him soliciting sex from a 14-year-old girl were revealed on Twitter. The man, Alessandro Ribeiro, was one of three trans-identified men who were given the top honors in the female category at the League of Legends competition in early December. In his resignation, Ribeiro did not deny the allegations, but instead stated, quote, a crime did not occur. 
Because in Brazil, the age of consent is 14 years old and no laws exist prohibiting sexual acts between minors and adults. After the revelations were posted online, internet sleuths were able to connect Rivero to several other previously anonymous social media accounts that featured animated child pornography. The parent company for League of Legends has said only that they will not be putting out a statement at this time. Brazilian women took to Twitter to express their outrage at League of Legends for the fact that men held almost all of the female titles. Quote, Inclusion that excludes females from their hard-won spaces, pure misogyny, one woman wrote. In Washington state, convicted sexual predator Brett David Sonia has been transferred to a women's prison after successfully petitioning under the argument that he was a, quote, vulnerable transgender female and that his Eighth Amendment rights had been violated by putting him in a cell with other males. Sonia was convicted in the early 2000s of dozens of crimes in both California and New Hampshire relating to the kidnapping and sexual exploitation of a 14-year-old girl. Sonia was transferred to the Washington State facility as part of the Interstate Corrections Compact, which allows inmates to be transferred to facilities in different states that can better accommodate their needs. Sonia was transferred in 2016, one year after beginning to identify as transgender though it is unclear if his transfer to a Washington state male facility was due to his trans status. Sonia was transferred between multiple male facilities in Washington after leaving numerous complaints about his treatment and lack of access to, quote, gender-affirming care. The, quote, care that Sonia requested included being provided with women's underwear and laser hair removal. According to Women on the Inside, Sonia talks openly about still identifying as a man a relative of one woman incarcerated in the facility, speaking with Redux, provided a list of eight men who had been transferred into the same Washington women's prison. In early 2022, Washington state made it illegal to disclose inmates' transgender status, so there is no way to ascertain exactly how many men have been transferred into women's facilities. In December, J.K. Rowling announced the opening of a new resource center for women survivors of sexual violence. The center is located in Edinburgh and is entirely woman-run. According to their website, Byra's Place believes that services supporting survivors of male violence, abuse, and exploitation are most effective when they are women-led, trauma-informed, and delivered by women for women. Many trans rights activists online were quick to criticize the new center for being male exclusionary regardless of the fact that many similar services in the country are open to men and women and routinely place trans-identified males in women's facilities. Byra's Place has stated that if trans-identified males contact them for services, they will redirect those individuals to similar services in the area that do allow them. In Edinburgh, the only other similar center has stated that women seeking their services who do not affirm trans ideology must be re-educated in order to receive services. In an interview with Suzanne Moore, Rowling stated, as a survivor of sexual assault myself, I know how important it is that survivors have the option of woman-centered and woman-delivered care at such a vulnerable time. Byra's place has been entirely funded by Rowling herself. The Deputy Assistant Secretary of Spent Fuel and Waste Disposition for the U.S. government has been fired after being charged with luggage theft stemming from two incidences last year. Sam Brinton was hired in January 2022 
and quickly made headlines because he identified as non-binary and frequently wore women's clothing to work. In July, a mere six months after being hired, Brinton stole a woman's suitcase from the baggage claim at a Las Vegas airport. The case was closed because investigators were unable to identify him from the security cameras until October when Brinton was charged with stealing a suitcase from the baggage claim at a Minneapolis airport the month before. Due to the media coverage of his first arrest, police in Las Vegas were able to identify him from the crime in July. Brinton appeared in court in December posting a $15,000 bail, but did not enter a plea. His next court date is in January. If convicted, he could spend up to five years in prison. Brinton rose to prominence in 2010 as an LGBTQ activist after being interviewed about his experience with conversion therapy as a young teenager. More recently, many have called into question the validity of his story. Brinton has repeatedly claimed his experience with conversion therapy involved sadistic violence, including electroshock therapy which no other conversion therapy survivor has claimed happened to them since the 1960s. Brinton also claims to not remember the name of the therapist that conducted his conversion therapy for two years. In Brussels, trans activists attacked an event promoting a new book by two female psychologists entitled The Trans Child Factory. Before the event, the venue received numerous threats from trans activists. Once the event began, TRAs gained access to the secure location through a door that had mistakenly been left open. Once inside, the group of about 20 men began harassing attendees, overturning furniture, throwing animal feces and mud, and attempted to physically attack the authors. Attendees were able to protect the authors from attackers long enough for the police to show up, who were only able to arrest one man while the rest fled. The venue, which is known for hosting controversial speakers, has rescheduled the event for April. In Afghanistan, the Taliban has begun to enforce their education ban for women and girls. Under the new rule, most females are restricted from education past the sixth grade. Taliban enforcers entered schools and universities and forced girls to leave classrooms and go home. A few days later, the Taliban announced women would be barred from working at non-governmental organizations. Following the announcement, three major aid organizations operating in Afghanistan suspended their operations, stating they could not effectively continue their work without the women in their organization. The economy minister of Afghanistan has stated any organization who does not comply will have their license to operate in the country revoked. A peer review study published December 28th shows a correlation between lack of access to abortion care and a rising suicide rate among reproductive age women. The study was published in the journal JAMA Psychiatry and examined state-level data from 1974 to 2016. During the time the study reviewed, 21 states enacted at least one law specifically targeting abortion providers, otherwise known as a trap law. The researchers compared suicide rates in states that enacted trap laws to those without and found, quote, comparatively, women who experience the shock of this type of restrictive legislation had a significant increase in suicide rate. The average suicide rate for reproductive age women in states with no trap laws was 5.5 per 100,000, and the study discovered the rate for the same demographic of women in states that did enact at least one trap law was 5.81% higher annually. The same increase was not shown in postmenopausal women. 
In Romania, a former kickboxer turned right-wing social media content creator was arrested on charges of human trafficking after inadvertently revealing his whereabouts on Twitter. On December 27th, Andrew Tate tweeted at Greta Thunberg, seemingly trying to taunt the climate activist into an exchange by bragging about his collection of cars and theorizing about the amount of pollution they produce. Thunberg responded with a tweet mocking Tate, and he replied to that with a video which happened to feature a pizza box with the logo of a Romanian restaurant chain. Social media has claimed it was this video that tipped off Romanian authorities to Tate's whereabouts and became the catalyst for his arrest. However, whether this is true is unclear. The Romanian Directorate for the Investigation of Organized Crime and Terrorism orchestrated a raid on five locations leading to the arrest of Tate and four of his accomplices, including his brother, Tristan Tate. The men had been holding at least six women captive and forcing them to create pornography. Romanian authorities have been investigating the Tate brothers for organized crime since April 2022. Social media users were quick to revel in Tate's downfall, creating memes mocking his arrest. Thunberg's tweet amassed almost 4 million likes, making it the fourth most liked tweet ever. Barbara Walters died on December 30th at the age of 93. Walters began her career as a journalist in the early 1950s, writing press releases at an NBC affiliate. In 1961, she was hired by the Today Show as a writer and researcher and before long was promoted to doing lighter reports on air. In her memoir, Walters says before the women's movement, nobody believed anybody would take a woman seriously reading hard news. Walters went on to be the first female co-host of the Today Show in 1974 and the first female co-anchor of the NBC Nightly News in 1976. She co-hosted 2020 from 1979 to 2004, and in 1997 created The View, which she stayed on as co-host until 2014. Speaking with a journalist in 2015, Walters said of her legacy, what makes me feel good is when a young woman, it's almost always a woman, says you influenced me and you're the reason I became a journalist. They watched and they said, if she could do it, I could do it. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, January 5th, 2023. Happy New Year, sisters. I'm Emily Fay. Share your news stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at womensliberationradionews.com and letting us know what's going on. Would old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? Should all acquaintance be forgot and old lang syne? This is Joe Brew, and you are listening to WLRN. version of Auld Lang Syne you're hearing throughout the podcast today is sung by Ingrid Michelson. 
Next up, we'll hear Thistle speaking with Anne Menashe, a radical feminist, lesbian, socialist, green, grassroots organizer, and civil rights lawyer whose activism spans half a century. She's a founding member and co-leader of two national organizations, Feminist in Struggle and the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights. Her two current passions are fighting to defend the rights and dignity of the section of the population forced into homelessness and advocating for the sex-based rights of women and girls, previously known as women's liberation. She was recently fired from her job for her feminist views and is devoted to stopping the witch hunt against feminists. Okay, I've got Anne Menashe on the line. She is a founding member of FIST, Feminists in Struggle. She's also a member of GASBAR, the Green Alliance for Sex-Based Rights. Welcome, Anne. Thank you for having me. Yeah, wonderful to have you here to reflect on the year 2022 in women's politics and uh, the, the women's movement um, so today you're going to just basically give us a rundown on your perspective of what the top stories and events were of 2022. So take it away. Okay. So on on one on the one hand, uh, it's been a tough year for women's rights, and I'll go through some of the losses and the concerns. And the uh, first, of course, is we lost abortion rights, um, even though the access to abortion has been eroded over many decades, this was really devastating. The decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health overturning 50 years of precedent with Roe v. Wade uh, was a shock to even those of us who are tend to be c- cynical. Um, and we're in a, it's in a horrific situation. We have now 13 states that ban all or virtually all abortions. Uh, and... Um, only 17 states and the District of Columbia that that actually support uh, broad abortion rights. So this is a huge loss for women. We're going to start seeing the repercussions in terms of women's lives, women's safety, whether women will be locked up in prison, um, whether women will die from botched abortion attempts, uh, the attempts to restrict the abortion pill. Uh, we just don't know what's going to happen. Um so I'm going to go through the, the bad news and then kind of go through the some of the hope that I have still. So um, the other bad news, which is really significant, is that the Biden administration has pursued the same um, politics or policies of the Trump administration with regard to the Equal Rights Amendment um, and refuses to pick up that phone and call the archivist to tell him, or I think it's her at this point, um, to publish uh, the Equal Rights Amendment that's already been ratified by the 38 states and should be the law of the land. Um, he's ref- not only refused to do that, he's actively uh, fought in court uh, cases that were trying to get that accomplished. He's been on the other side of the Equal Rights Amendment. So that is absolutely outrageous, and he's continued that policy this year. The ERA is extremely important because it would ex- Establish sex as a protected category with the same weight as race. And, and in was, the ERA, I just want to interrupt for a moment. In the ERA, how is sex defined? Does it include gender identity? It, sex doesn't, it's not defined because when it was written, we didn't 
there was no need for it being defined. But okay. it says sex. It doesn't say gender identity. And a lot of uh, trans rights act activists don't like it because it doesn't say gender identity. Oh, um, it says put sex in. Yes, um, I ran into that in the Green Party where they were actively hostile to the Equal Rights Amendment uh, because of that reason. So interesting. Um, yeah, we had an ERA workshop and we were basically. Um, they tried to uh, steal the mic and attack us because it wasn't inclusive enough, the ERA. So um, anyway, so there's there's really good reason to put sex in the Constitution. Of course, these things need to be defined. It's not the end of the struggle, but it would be an important tool for women's rights and women's liberation to have that. Um, it would make it easier to challenge all kinds of discriminatory practices in every state in the union, including job discrimination, violence against women, and even and, you know, and why do you think Biden is dragging his feet on this? I think that uh, the Democratic Party is not really a supporter of women's rights mm -hmm. and women's rights is actual equality under the law is expensive for his campaign donors. Um, it uh, this it would have a cost for big business because they'd have to pay women equally and, and they would have to. Uh, you know, promote women fairly and and uh, welcome women in all jobs, which isn't does not occur now. So the, there's a recognition that women's oppression is a money making operation, and they they can't really they can give lip service to women's rights, but they can't really um, carry out women's rights. So uh, only if they are absolutely forced and pressured to, and uh, in the coming year, we really need to increase the pressure on the Biden administration to do his constitutional duty and get that. ERA in the Constitution. Okay, thank you for that. So, um, and then the other bad news um, is that the coordinated worldwide effort to deny the existence of sex uh, and to remove sex-based protections across the board, including the ability of women to organize as women, to, um, to uh, fight our oppression, to even have language to talk about ourselves, all of that, that worldwide effort has continued to pace in 2022. It's not been good. California uh, passed two horrific bills this year, SB 923 and SB 107. Uh, the first one would indoctrinate the medical and mental health profession in gender identity ideology, which is not good for health across the board uh, because you know, sometimes women have different physical needs than men do. It's really a bad idea. Uh, and then uh, the second bill would make the state and that passed, this is all bills that passed, uh, will make the state a magnet for minors seeking uh, sterilizing and mutilating so-called gender affirming care. So those those were big uh, losses. It was a, a concerted effort to fight those bills, but they were ultimately not successful. So the indoctrination uh, all over the place in the medical profession, you can't even go to the doctor without having to fill out a form with your gender identity and words like sex assigned at birth or in medical forms. So it's 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 spreading all over the place. It's endemic in schools and universities. Um, and feminists are continuing to lose jobs and livelihoods and facing um, civil rights complaints against them for simply refusing to deny the existence of biological sex and that there are two sexes. Um, I Myself got victimized this year, got fired from a job of 20 years because I asserted that a ban on um, a ban on abortion would harm women as a sex. 
Um, a lesbian in Norway was even facing criminal charges and up to three years in prison for saying uh, that men could neither be lesbians or mothers, and that was defined as hate speech. So all this stuff is really scary and horrific and has gotten much more entrenched. And and most recently, just like a week ago, was it? Um, Scotland passed a gender self-ID law that would allow any man, including convicted sex offenders, to enter women's spaces and programs simply on his say-so, um, disregarding any concerns about women's safety. Uh, so that was a, a huge uh, loss. Um, so though there are there is plenty of reason to despair, I don't think we should despair. I think there's reason to have hope and we need to fight back harder this year. Uh, the women in Scotland really uh, did a tremendous job fighting and organizing around this. And uh, one um, little tidbit that I saw was a bunch of them outside of the government, uh, outside of parliament that were they were singing Auld Lang Syne um, and uh, changed the words to say women's rights are human rights. So they did a great job and, and it, it, we just have to keep struggling. Uh, but they, they're, they're not, they're not done. We shouldn't be done. I was very impressed with the work, um, organizing, uh, in defense of abortion rights that's gone on. I particularly like the work of rise up for abortion rights, um, for a lot of reasons. One is there's extremely grassroots and in the streets, they don't just believe we should depend on elections. Um, they also define abortion as abortion bans as female slavery. So they're not afraid to use the word women and female with regard to abortion, which I think is really important. You can't fight um, <clears throat> bans on abortion if you can't talk about the group that's being targeted any more than you could fight racist police without being able to say the word black or, or that black lives matter. Uh, so... Um, so anyway, I, I was really impressed with, with the mobilization and the organizing that they did, and hopefully they will continue to do so uh, in the new year. Uh, women are starting to win their cases um, where the people who've been fired, or I think the way they say in the UK, sacked, <laughs> um, have gone to court and won. And this past year, we had two um, major victories. One was the case of Maya Forstadter, and the other one is a case of Allison Bailey. And they both, uh, you know, won the most important parts of their cases. Um, and they were both had been fired basically for their gender critical views. So the fact that um, this is vindicated in court um, uh, is really important. And I'm hoping I'm going to have success as well in doing the same in my case. Um, so, um, Anyway, so I think that's a really hopeful sign. I think I think that uh, people are beginning to understand the ex extreme nature of this ideology and what it's calling for and what it's doing. And I think as more people understand what's going on, I think there will be more opposition um, to it. So it's hard now, but um, I think that the opposition is growing. Uh, and it's also very heartening uh, to see a growing movement challenging a child transition. Um, and that movement is not just right-wing. It was defined as right-wing in the past. Uh, there was, in terms of people who were speaking out, it seemed to be like right-wing. That's not no longer really the case. Um, and that's, that's really changing. 
There's a group called Our Duty, uh, which is a nonpartisan group of parents who oppose child medical transition. And they had a rally of about 100 people in Anaheim uh, in front of a national convention of uh, pediatricians. The central organizer is an incredible woman. She's a mother, she's a lawyer, and she's a liberal Democrat. Um, so this this is a nonpartisan issue. This is an issue of, of human rights. This is an issue of the probably what's going to be the worst medical scandal since lobotomy. It's going to at some point people are going to have their eyes open about uh, what's what's going on and how girls are particularly being targeted, gender nonconforming girls. Uh, same-sex attractive future lesbian girls, uh, autistic children. I mean, it's really horrific um, that they're sterilizing and cutting off healthy body parts of, of these these kids because they don't fit into gender role norms, um, which is really what that's about. So um, anyway, so they had the successful rally. I think there would be more organizing like that and more people speaking out. It's even beginning to break into the mainstream media um, it was a New York Times article that came out, where was it? Uh, here. Oh, June, I guess. Which, um, compared to the other New York Times articles, which were 100% one-sided, uh, ideological, uh, this was much more even-handed and, 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 and indicated there was a debate, at least. Uh, there was disagreement that, that had some legitimacy. So, that is a step forward. Um, there's been uh, what was the name of that New York Times article? It was about childhood transitioning, right? Battle over gender therapy. So yeah, it's called the battle over gender therapy, um, and so it indicated that the medical community, even those people doing these surgeries and the, this treatment, so-called treatments, um, um, that there was controversy there, and um, and so you know, it was a recognition that this is this is controversial. In addition, um, which is a huge step, because everything else I've read in the New York Times is so one-sided, completely just the ideological talking points of the the lobby, essentially, and not not even-handed whatsoever. So this was a, a big step forward. Um, in the UK, we had the closing of the Ta Tavistock Clinic after an independent review which challenged the affirmative, so-called affirmative approach of medicalizing these kids um, and uh, pointed to the huge increase in, in girls and autistic patients. Uh, so that that was really big. Uh, and that came on the heels of Care, um, Tara Bell's lawsuit. Um, and there will be lawsuits. There will be lawsuits in the United States because all these kids are going to wake up one day and realize, what what did I do to myself? How did my how did this doctor do this to me? How did my parents, you know, go along with it if they did? And they're going to be asking for justice. Um, so, um, so I think that this is a extremely prom extremely promising development. I think that movement is going to grow. I think our duty is a group to watch because it is it's very um, has really clear politics. It's open to everyone, but it made sure not to be stamped as right wing. It takes a position supporting gay kids. Uh, it takes a position supporting uh, children being able to express themselves and dress as they like, supporting gender nonconformity. And those those things are really important uh, to, in, in any movement. So um, it's clear that we're fighting, we're, we're fighting uh, medical atrocities. We're not fighting 
gender nonconformity or, or homosexuality. And we're actually trying to save these kids, who, many of whom will would grow up to be gay. Um, so I think that's really promising. And then um, what was really inspiring for me, and I think a lot of women around the world is are the women of Iran, um, uh, that women could lead a struggle that that uh, inspired the entire population and went beyond their specific struggle as women, but they were leading it. And that women were, <clears throat> that's really my vision of how to change society is we need women in the leadership of all movements and we need women's rights and women's humanity and dignity to be center. Uh, so the women of Iran are leading a struggle against an extremely repressive and misogynist fundamentalist regime uh, and doing an amazing, amazing job of it, I think. So I think this is really um, very inspiring. Uh, of course, it, it got happened in response to the death of a young woman, uh, Mahat, I mispronounced her name, Masa Amini, who was in custody of their morals police uh, for not wearing her headscarf properly, showing her hair. And at great risk to themselves, they poured into the streets. Our Iranian sisters really led the way. And um, I, they popularized this song. It's called Barayi, B-A-R-A-Y-E. And if I can just read just a little portion of it, it's really inspiring. Uh, it says, for the sake of dancing in the street, for the fear felt in the moment of kissing, for my sister, your sister, our sisters. For changing the rotten minds, for shame, for pennilessness, for the yearning for an ordinary life, for the sake of the children that mine the garbage and their dreams, for women, life, liberty. Now, what, what wonderful, what a wonderful slogan! Women, life, liberty. <laughs> so. So they are really leading a struggle of their entire people. It's the women leading it and leading the charge. And that's just amazing. I think that's what we need to do. We need to do two things. One is we need to build build on an independent women's movement, subordinate to no one. And then we need to lead the entire population <laughs> to uh, creating a better society. So I think that... Um, that is that was extremely inspiring. Their obstacles are, are even more horrific at the moment than ours, because ours are pretty bad too. Um, we have, you know, two very well organized enemies uh, in the Christian right and uh, uh, this uh, trans politics that have taken over. Both of them are extremely harmful to women and gays and lesbians and uh, children. Um, it's the opposite of freedom and liberation and free to be you and me. It's the exact opposite of that. Uh, it's uh, basically um, derailed the, the gay and lesbian movement. Um, it's, it's stifled lesbians, our ability to even organize or our ability to meet with each other, to date each other, any of that. It's, it's interfered with that. And young lesbians are um, being medicalized. Uh, so all of this, um, all these dangerous things, but we have the power to fight back and we should remember that. And the more we take our courage into our hands and speak up and speak out, and uh, the more we'll be able to change things around for 2023. 
what does FIST have in store for 2023? Well, um, we're hoping, I mean, we are hoping to at some point have a conference uh, and we've been with the COVID situation. So we want to be sure everybody can go, but we've been raising money to do that, to have an in-person organizing conference. We want to start having some, uh, we want to do serious chapter building. That's one of the things that we want to do. And we've started to do like in San Diego, we have uh, six or seven people um, uh, in a uh, quasi chapter. Um, we want, so we want to start building on the grassroots level. Uh, we want to make, you know, more coalitions and working together. Um, we want to continue our successful uh, forum series um, that has gotten a lot of support, a lot of um, great speakers. Um, we are um, leading my defense <laughs> um, uh, committee to um, Justice for Anne, it's called, uh, to fight my termination because that will be uh, a lawsuit should be filed soon. And uh, I hope to make some inroads so that it doesn't happen to anyone else. So that's that's going to happen. Uh, having coordinated activities uh, around International Women's Day, joining in other um, actions that are being called, um, which we've been doing with our banner and flyers and that sort of thing, to be visible as radical feminists in the broader um, feminist movement and the broader um, progressive movement, really, even though there's a lot of hostility, uh, we are we are part of that movement. So um, I think that's all part of the things that we want to do uh, this year. Well, what did you think of the uh, Kelly J. Keene USA tour and the impact it had on our feminist movement here in the States? Well, I, I think that the idea of going out in the streets like that is really important. And I think that uh, she's played a, a big role in doing that. I think that um, what needs to happen is uh, people need to be, women need to um, organize more ahead of time, have, get larger turnouts, plan security ahead of time so that we could do our own security. But you can't do that unless you get a, a certain critical mass. So getting more women out, uh, having lead time, uh, having it, um, not you know, one person from the UK or even the US cannot, just do that you need you know time and grassroots people locally to to organize we need to get larger turnouts we need to really build a movement that's visible and there's a lot of fear and everything which is completely understandable because the violence is horrific i mean it's they're really showing their hand um and um but yes and, and go, doesn't, yeah. that, doesn't that ultimately work in our favor i know we don't have the numbers and a lot of the reason we don't have numbers out on the streets is because of the violence that they threaten and right. uh, commit right. on the streets. I mean, look at what happened at the New York City stop with nine arrests. And thankfully, the police were uh, there right. to intervene and protect the, the women on right. the streets. Um, right. But as you were saying, they are showing us who they are. And in, in the end, isn't that helping? I, yeah, if, you know, if we can get publicity, I think we need to just keep at it. And, and well, we need larger numbers. Um, it's hard to do self-defense uh, to defend a demonstration if it's just a handful of people. You really need more mass. 
uh, demonstrations uh, have been attacked, uh, you know, a lot in the past of all kinds of demonstrations, the history of, of you know, people having to defend demonstrations. Um, and we just need to, it needs to be prepared way ahead of time. And we need the, the critical mass of people to be able to organize uh, a defensible um, demonstration. So um, I th it's going to take a lot of planning and it needs, more people need to come out. That's the thing. More people need to come out. And then we, uh, I would say we, yes. Yeah. And I'm really glad Kelly J came over and did that tour because it planted seeds for what you're talking about, something bigger, uh, right. with more no, numbers absolutely should, and I better mean, uh, security in the yeah. future. But right. I'm so glad that she did it. I think it, it galvanized and united a lot of women and also, um, that it, made America see if they're looking at least because, you know, mainstream media isn't covering this as they should. But mm -hmm. if you're following this story, there is now evidence all over the Internet for how horrible trans activism is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, I think it was, a, a you know, on the whole positive um uh, intervention in the United States. <laughs> I was, uh, it was a pot in the politics of the United States. I, I think it's basically positive. I think I'm just, you know, I try to think ahead of how to make it better and how to make it better would be to have more time and, and more local participation in building something. So, so that, you know, uh, it can successfully defend itself and, and more women could be involved. So I, I think that that's going to take planning and it's going to take coordination and, uh, and you know time and that's going to have to be uh local um locally done i mean you can have inspiration from other countries and and support and participation but ultimately we have to build a base locally and in the united states and so um but yeah i, I think it, it got us thinking and um uh we need yeah we just have to start doing it uh and figuring out how to defend our our how to defend our right to demonstrate. We have to really think about that. Um, I mean, there are times that, the you know, if the police will help, great. Um, but we also have to learn, we have to get enough people, you need a critical mass to be able to do uh, monitoring of your own demonstration. And you can't do that if you have 10 people or 20, you have to have a bigger group. Uh, and so um, getting the, ma the mass, a larger number of women, and then, self-defense, uh, learning how to defend peaceably, uh, um, monitor and defend the demonstration against the uh, protesters. I think there was the same problem in, in Anaheim with our duty. Um, they, they had 100, which is uh, pretty good, um, but they were kind of, they were forced to leave the, they didn't want to get into any kind of fights uh, and they were being very careful. So they made a plan B of going indoors and, and they did, and they had a security guard and they went indoors and finished their rally there. Um, again, I think we can improve our organizing ahead of time. Uh, so we don't have to do that, um, that we have enough people and enough of our own um, monitors, um, peacekeepers uh, that we can separate out those that are trying to, um, harass us or attack us. Um, and there's no guarantees here, but it's a dangerous situation. But um, the more people we have and the more organizing we, organized we are, the better we'll be able to defend ourselves. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that uh, we're learning to do that. I know at least here in Wisconsin, I've seen such an increase in women coming together, organizing, gathering locally around this issue of trans activism and women's ability to define ourselves and speak out. Um, it's called the Free Speech for Women movement, and uh, it's directly linked to being inspired by the Speaker's Corner movement that Posey Parker started in the UK. And, you know, little by little, like here in the Chicago area and Madison, Milwaukee, I I know so many more women now than I did. I mean, I'm thinking back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> years ago, I was like completely alone, you know, and now it's yeah. like women are emailing and uh, asking about, and we're having potlucks and and gatherings and uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's gonna. That's what it's gonna take. And and I think we have to be uh, think globally, act locally. You know, we have to have those local roots, and um, uh, we have to start. You know, being courageous and. Um, that are organized. So that's just, but yeah, that's, that's wonderful news that that's happened in Madison. That's really great. <laughs> yeah. We're yeah. not quite there yet in San Diego, but at least we have the potlucks. <laughs> You're having potlucks. Yeah. We're having, well, we have a gathering of, uh, we call it fist and friends. So we have like six, seven women have been gathering a few times this past year. Um, and, uh, you know, talking politics and everything. So that's the start. I, I want to get them and, and um, a couple of them have, you know, marched for abortion rights. Uh, the scarier part, of course, is to march for this stuff. <laughs> um, and um, so that um, is uh, going to take, that's going to be. You, when you were marching for abortion rights this year, uh, did you say uh, something about abortion being a woman's sex-based right in your. Oh, yeah. We, well, we, we carried our banner. And we passed out flyers that said all of it. And we even tried to lead chance, so that didn't work that well. But uh, it wasn't enough of us. But yeah, we've, so we've did done you Did you uh, get pushback from other women that were marching that, that noticed that you were fighting for female women? Uh, <laughs> no, we did not. No, I guess not. I don't know if they just didn't pay that much attention. <laughs> or or what it was, but our banner our banner says uh, um, our bodies are our um, is it our bodies are spaces our sex based rights so that's that spells it out and um, we were passing out flyers that spelled it out so um, but but nobody yeah. gave you pushback interesting not really and I don't think they paid attention I guess we weren't big enough I maybe if we got bigger you know we would. <laughs> Maybe, or if you teased it out even more, like we went to the abortion rights rally here in Madison in October and had the woman, adult human, female, huge banner with the dictionary definition of the word woman. And that that's what did it for us here in Madison. They they saw that and they were like, oh, you're bigots, you know, um, <laughs> your your banner. um I don't know your banner sex-based rights i guess that's not a term that is uh necessarily triggering yeah, but we say our spaces so um yeah but we were passing out stuff and i think by the time anybody read it they probably you know we were past them so if they got upset <laughs> we wouldn't have seen it um 
so um well that's good i mean we need to all be coming together as women and we can have some disagreements but abortion rights impact women and uh is a women's issue and you know these women primarily that were out protesting um the abortion bans here in, in madison um i don't know i mean we got to join in they were shunning us and they were saying turf's not welcome and things like that, even up on the mic. But we marched in in the march. Um, yeah. you know? So, yeah. I, I, so they, I mean, there's always that risk, uh, but I think uh, we should try to be there. And, and anytime. Definitely. Gonna... I think we should be there. Yeah, for sure. We should be there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Anne. Is there anything yeah. you'd like to add? For our 2020. No, I just say I just uh, want us to keep at it, not get this disheartened because I, I did go through, you know, some major losses and, and problems that we faced this past year. But um, was it Susan B. Anthony who said failure is impossible if you keep at it and you fight long enough and hard enough, you will win. So I awesome. also, and then yeah. Kelly J says, I never lose. I saw that. Yeah. So we've <laughs> That's got... the same thing. I think she got it from Susan. Same Anthony. thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, right yeah. on. Keep okay. on keeping on. And this, 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 this is WLRN. 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 Women's Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio Women's News. Liberation Radio News. was like every other year before it, full of male violence against women and girls. No surprise there, of course. Patriarchy never improves even when it changes. In June, the United States Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in a 5-4 vote to reverting abortion access in the country back to pre-1974 status and taking it away from many female citizens. This will be controversial to straight and bisexual women listening, but honestly, the loss of Roe v. Wade wasn't even close to being the worst thing that happened to women in 2022, nationally or internationally. And it exposed the fact that most women who are sexually attracted to men will always put their attraction above class solidarity with other women and above their own health and safety. The same het and bi women who had meltdowns on social media over the loss of federal abortion protection also took the time to shout down other women, many of them lesbians, who suggested they stop having sex with men and to withdraw overall from heterosexual relationships. I won't harp on how insane it is for any woman or girl to have consensual sex with males in places where abortion is illegal. Instead, I want to point out how women in other countries responded to actual male violence they had no control over, both to remind you that male violence is universal, and to highlight the kind of direct action and courage women and girls in much more oppressive societies continue to demonstrate. Female protests followed Masha Amini's murder in Iran at the hands of male police officers who beat her for not wearing a hijab properly. 
women and girls demonstrated in the streets and online, tearing off their hijabs and in some cases cutting their hair. They often chanted when marching, women, life, freedom. They protested despite the fact that Iran offers virtually no legal protection to women and girls and harshly punishes their citizens for any kind of law-breaking in general. A publicly unnamed young Korean woman who worked for the subway in Seoul was murdered by her male colleague in a women's bathroom. Her killer was sentenced to only nine years in prison. This case immediately reminded me of the 6B4T movement. For anyone who doesn't know, South Korean radical feminists, most of them young and many of them lesbian, have been practicing what they call 6B4T since 2019, a set of feminist principles based on female separatism and the rejection of femininity. 6B4T has since spread to Chinese women and got many Chinese separatist feminists banned from a popular Chinese social media site. Mexican women once again protested femicide in 2022 after the murder of 18-year-old Debani Escobar in April, and again in July after the murder of Luz Raquel Padilla, who was set on fire by a male neighbor. Since 2019, Mexican women have showed up over and over in the streets to express their anger at the rampant and usually unpunished male violence against women and girls in their country. They didn't take a break in 2022. I hope they never do. Leading up to the murder trial and acquittal of Cynthia Concha in Chile, Chilean women protested with Yo tambien me defenderia, or I would defend myself too. Concha killed her abusive husband in self-defense during a physical altercation with him. Notice the difference between this slogan of female self-defense and that of the Me Too movement. One is a statement of female power, the other a mere admission of female victimhood. When in the history of first world white majority feminism has female self-defense ever been so explicitly a part of the conversation? Never, as far as I know. Why is that? In Israel, former female prison guards revealed they had been served as rape victims by their male bosses and colleagues to the Palestinian male prisoners. A perfect example of the fact that in any time and any place, men are united across all divisions amongst themselves in their violence, sexual predation, and hatred of women. Two groups of men locked in never-ending war with each other along ethnic and religious lines, setting aside their hatred of each other to sexually victimize women together? That's a level of class solidarity that women have virtually never had anywhere. It's the reason male power is solid. 2022, like every year, was full of unique patriarchal events and corresponding feminist struggle. Yes, women and girls in every corner of the world continued to fight the good fight, no matter how personally dangerous to them. And we should respect, admire, and appreciate those who did. We should feel inspired by them to fight in our own ways. But we should also recognize the lack of feminist resistance, the lack of female rage, the empty streets in America when it's just male violence going on rather than abortion access being threatened or removed. 
Women and girls are raped and murdered every day in the U.S. and in all other countries. That should be enough to reignite and fuel a feminist movement even more ferocious than what we saw here in the 60s and 70s. It amazes me that it isn't. So in 2023, I challenge you feminist women to get in touch with your anger if you aren't already. And more importantly, to remember that physical and sexual violence against women and girls is the bedrock of patriarchy and the most serious issue feminism addresses. Everything else we could care about as feminists pales in comparison. Thanks for listening to WLRN's 81st edition podcast, reflecting on the old year 2022 and looking forward to the new year 2023. Let's continue to keep on keeping on, sisters. WLRN would like to thank our guest this month for sharing her view of the top stories in women's politics and movement in 2022. Thank you so much, Anne Menashe, for speaking with us. Until next time, this is Thistle Pedersen wishing you a very happy new year. Thanks for staying tuned to WLRN, your community-powered radio station in the Femisphere. And I'm Aurora. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we will focus our program on the Dana Rivers case and how trans policies are impacting the safety and dignity of women in prison. Our handcrafted podcasts always come out the first Thursday of the month, so look for it on Thursday, February 2nd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when every podcast, music show, and extended interview is released, please sign up for the newsletter on the WLRN WordPress site. Stay strong in the struggle, and thanks again for listening. This is Emily signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spinster, Overit, and SoundCloud in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. This is Sekhmet Shiaul wishing you a happy and safe 2023. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thanks for your support. We would love to hear from you, so please share, like, and comment widely. But how will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? shown and then after that where is home